The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's Tuesday, November 15th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, in what feels like the start of a riddle, egg prices are surging, but chicken prices are going down. Plus, it turns out chimpanzees like to share cool stuff as much as some daily podcasters. And Artemis 1 is supposed to launch late tonight, but if this mysterious space prophet continues to be right, the launch might not happen until 2023. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? It's an arguably unanswerable question, but here's one we do know the answer to. Which price surged first, the chicken or the egg? That would be the egg. Right now, a strange thing is happening in the U.S. in which egg prices are skyrocketing, but chicken prices are actually falling. Now, I definitely noticed that egg prices had risen last time I went to the grocery store, and according to the U.S. Consumer Price Index, the average price of a dozen large grade-A eggs is almost double what it was a year ago, going from about $1.80 to $3.42. Even just this fall, prices spiked 10% in October alone, the largest monthly increase of any grocery store item. Year over year, the only grocery store staple that has surged in price more is margarine. So why the massive price increase for eggs? Mostly bird flu. Apparently, one of the worst ever outbreaks in the U.S. 50.3 million birds, chickens, turkeys, and ducks have been impacted by the virus since February of this year. And while you might feel like you hear about bird flu or avian flu fairly often, it's actually not that common. The last major outbreak in the U.S. was back in 2015, and before that, it hadn't emerged in a big way for a decade or more. Quoting CNBC, Here's why this matters. Avian flu, which is generally carried by wild birds such as ducks and geese, is highly contagious, the New Jersey Department of Agriculture warned last month. It's also extremely lethal. It kills 90 to 100 percent of chickens, often within 48 hours, according to the CDC. Farmers generally must kill their remaining birds, not by choice, but due to federal rules meant to prevent spread, said Brian Muscogiri, a global trade strategist at Eggs Unlimited, an egg supplier based in Irvine, California. As a result, about 37 million egg-laying hens, or layers in industry shorthand, have died since the beginning of 2022, Muscogiri said. They account for about 10% of U.S. production, he said. Egg quantity has cratered in lockstep. About 8.8 billion eggs were produced in September, down from 9.7 billion in December 2021, according to the most recent data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. End quote. Muskogiri says that it doesn't really have anything to do with inflation. The timing is just bad luck, or as he says, an act of God, that this horrific outbreak has lined up with inflation to make prices even worse. 
And it really is terrible luck because apparently bird flu doesn't usually happen this time of year. It usually crops up in spring and is gone by summer. This time it emerged in September. And the other piece of the puzzle? Holiday demand. We usually buy a lot more eggs this time of year as we bake special treats for the holiday season. And another inflation ripple, people have been buying more eggs than usual as an alternative protein source to more expensive meats. But none of that exactly explains why the price of chickens is going down. According to CNBC, the price went from a peak of $3.60 a pound over the summer to now under $1.20. If there are so many fewer chickens due to the bird flu, shouldn't cost be going up? It would if the chickens raised to lay eggs and the chickens raised for slaughter were the same. As Moskagiri tells CNBC, it's two different breeds of bird and two totally different styles of production. The broilers, as the chickens who exist purely to become meat for humans are called, haven't been as affected by avian flu as the layers. Part of that is the separation, Moskagiri mentioned. Another element is that those chickens don't usually live as long. Five and a half to nine weeks for broilers versus upwards of 100 weeks for layers. The quantity of these broiler chickens is also up. Quoting again, about 865 million broiler chicks hatched in August, 2.9% higher than August of 2021 and a monthly record, which had previously been set in March 2020, the Agriculture Department said. Broiler placements have also climbed in recent weeks, hitting a record 194.2 million chicks in the week ending September 17th, according to the department. The agency raised 2023 production forecasts on that optimistic hatch and placement data, end quote. Now, all of that said, even though the price of chicken is falling, it's still higher than it was in October of last year. So chickens aren't completely immune to inflation. The price per pound is up 14.5% year over year. And that is in part due to the still rising prices for corn and soybeans, which are the main ingredients in chicken feed. It's the same story across most of agriculture right now. Any industry that relies on feeding their animals has been feeling the heat. Distribution has also been a challenge. All of that is the same story across the board. But with how things are looking, the price of chicken could keep falling back down to 2021 prices. And meanwhile, the price of eggs is expected to stay hot through the first quarter of 2023. So if the question is which to budget for first, the chicken or the egg, I would go chicken. Chimps, they're just like us. Or are we just like them? I am a big fan of studies that discover non-human animals doing human-like things, and specifically when the study determines that the animals are probably doing them for the same reason humans are, which often means there's not really a point to doing them, or that it indicates a higher level of cognition than we previously assumed. Now, I'm a big fan of these because, one, videos of such behavior are often very funny, and two, it's a reminder that we humans are not as special as we like to think we are. The latest study of this sort, published yesterday in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences USA, has to do with chimpanzees and sharing. And not like sharing resources, but rather sharing stuff just cuz, like wanting to show someone else this cool thing that you found. Quoting Scientific American, 
The ability to share attention is thought to be a pivotal development in human evolution, serving as a needed precursor to more complex cooperative behaviors. Babies as young as 10 months hold out items for their caretakers to see, with seemingly no other purpose beyond letting mom, dad, or big sister in on something they find cool or interesting. Being really motivated to do this a lot from a very early age is absolutely critical to us engaging in joint action together, says Katie Slocum, a comparative psychologist at the University of York in England and senior author of the study. End quote. Now, chimps, as some of our closest relatives, do perform shared attention behaviors. They might point to a toy that they want their human caretaker to let them play with, or point at a part of their body they want a companion to groom. But showing a friend a cool rock they found? That hadn't exactly been observed before. Until Slocum and her team witnessed something along those lines in 2019 while observing a chimp community in a Uganda forest. Quoting again, An adult female named Fiona was fiddling with a leaf while her infant was in her lap and her mother, Sutherland, was by her side. Fiona then held out the leaf in front of Sutherland's face, making tiny readjustments to be sure it was directly in her gaze until she looked down at it. Fiona only resumed fiddling with the leaf when she was satisfied that her mother noticed what she was doing. Slocum, who has worked with chimps for close to two decades, was blown away. I've never seen them do anything like that, she says. End quote. Now, the team didn't see this happen again from Fiona or any other chimps in the community, but the behavior was unique enough to get the team to investigate further. And one behavior they especially wanted to rule out was something called leaf grooming. Leaf grooming is when a chimp inspects a leaf, like looking at it closely and fiddling with it. Why they do that, scientists have yet to figure out. It could be examining the leaf for parasites, or it could be a way to soothe anxiety. But what scientists do know is what it tends to look like, and when it usually occurs, after a chimp has been grooming themselves or another chimp. But Fiona didn't show the leaf to her mother Sutherland after grooming. And after reviewing video footage of 84 previous instances of leaf grooming from 37 different chimps in that community and a nearby one, Slocum's team couldn't find any other evidence of leaf grooming leading to this play or leading to more grooming. Quoting again, This makes the researchers confident that Fiona had no ulterior motive other than to stick her leaf in Sutherland's face. She just wanted to share something neat with her mom. End quote. Now, Slocum acknowledges that far more evidence is needed from a far wider sample to really get closer to a certainty that this behavior was sharing for sharing's sake. But if it is, she's excited by the potential implications. Like, could this behavior be more common than we thought in other animals, too? You know, what about, say, dogs? Slocum said, quote, Generally, most dogs bring you things because they want you to do something with it. But maybe not always. End quote. Now, I think it's a funny thing to think about because I think we humans either like to think we're so much more advanced than other species, or we put human characteristics on non-human animals. So with dogs, I think some pet owners absolutely pretend that a dog is just showing them something cool sometimes or sharing it with them like a baby would, even though we usually know that they just want us to throw it so they can catch it, or maybe a dog with some training might be giving us something they found that's potentially dangerous or what have you. And personally, you know, I'd never thought before that non-human primates especially don't share things just because they're cool. 
but apparently that is one of those unique markers of being human, at least as far as we know for now. One psychologist who was not involved in the study, Gary Steinberg of the University of Tennessee, thinks it's possible this was sharing for sharing's sake, but that it's a more rudimentary version than what humans do. Steinberg in particular noted to Scientific American that Fiona and Sutherland didn't share a knowing look with each other, like humans do when sharing cool things with each other. However, he says, quote, it would be surprising that our closest relatives wouldn't have some inkling of this kind of sociality, end quote. For now, Slocum and her team will be conducting further research on additional chimp communities to see if they can find this behavior in more chimps. And if they do find it, it could really change what we think we know about the evolution of human social cognition and just how deep that divide is between us and the rest of the animal kingdom. It's that time again. NASA will once again attempt to launch Artemis 1 late tonight, technically tomorrow. The launch window will open at 1.04 a.m. Eastern Time. Artemis 1 managers officially gave the launch a go to proceed yesterday afternoon after conducting a number of checks and convening on a teleconference to deliver the news. Live coverage of the tanking operations will already have begun on NASA TV as you are listening to this, and official launch coverage will start at 10.30 p.m. Eastern tonight. The easiest way to watch is on NASA's YouTube channel or at nasa.gov live. Link with more info on watching is at the NASA link in the show notes. Now, will the launch actually happen? Personally, I'm feeling moderately optimistic. The SLS rocket and Orion spacecraft have, according to the team, been ready to go for weeks now. The holdup has been weather delays. Now that said, every time they got close in the past, they encountered a problem during fueling. And even if they believe those issues are fixed, we've been burned by this before. And listen, even if it doesn't happen on Wednesday tonight, that's okay. Because as I've said before, this whole mission is an exploratory one. The point of this uncrewed launch is making sure that the rocket and spacecraft are safe for a crew on the next mission. As space studies professor Michael Dodge wrote in the conversation yesterday, quote, Postponements, scrubs, and delays tend to occur due to bad weather conditions, mechanical issues, or health concerns of the crew, any of which could threaten the safety of the craft and the people aboard. NASA has learned the hard way to be cautious of these scenarios. The first lesson came in January 1967, during a test for the Apollo 1 mission. The rocket in question was meant to go on an early test flight for the first U.S. missions to the moon. Astronauts Ed White, Roger Chaffee, and Gus Grissom were all killed when a fire started in the crew cabin during a launch pad test. After the tragedy, NASA created its Office of Flight Safety. Most of NASA's launches went well after the Challenger disaster, but the breakup of Shuttle Columbia after entering the Earth's atmosphere in February 2003 was a notable exception that killed all seven astronauts on board. That disaster in particular caused NASA to pause operations and take stock of its launch strategies. In a truly stinging report from an internal investigation, NASA highlighted its own broken safety culture and a failure to learn from the mistakes of the Challenger disaster. In the years since, NASA has demonstrated a concerted effort to learn from the mistakes of the past. End quote. So if they can't do this safely, they won't do it. Full stop. 
Which means, yes, there is a chance we won't see a launch late tonight. And if we don't, and it keeps getting pushed back and back, well, then an Industry Insider's prediction from 2017 might end up being true. Eric Berger over at Ars Technica happened to be chatting with an unnamed industry source near the Johnson Space Center in Houston five years ago, who told him that the much-hyped SLS rocket, which at the time was slated to launch in 2019, probably wouldn't actually launch until 2023. That seemed ridiculous at the time, but now, here we are. And it turns out that mysterious insider was right about something else in the meantime. In 2020, Berger spoke with him again and asked about NASA's decision to contract a private company to build the human landing system that would take astronauts from orbit down to the moon in later Artemis program missions. At the time, most people were putting their bets on Blue Origin, but the insider said it would probably be SpaceX. Lo and behold, six months later, NASA made the surprising announcement that they had picked SpaceX to be the sole provider of the human landing system. At that point, Berger started referring to his source as the Space Prophet, or Oracle. And the Oracle has one more prediction. Artemis 3, the mission that is actually supposed to land on the moon, this first one is an uncrewed loop around the moon, the second one will follow a similar path with humans on board, and then the third will land humans on the moon for the first time in half a century. The mission is currently slated for 2025, but according to the Oracle, quote, my starting point is 2028, end quote. Now, technically, the Oracle is only one for three at this point in predictions, but he could be right about Artemis 1 not launching until 2023, and if so, then we have further reason to believe the prediction about Artemis 3 being delayed by at least three years. And this is all just a bit of fun, I don't actually believe in a space prophet, but this insider has good reason for his predictions. As Berger says of Artemis 3, the moon landing potentially being delayed, quote, This does not seem like all that unreasonable of a prediction. This is not your grandparents' NASA, which delivered the Apollo program on time and on budget. The 1960s were a very different era, and NASA was operating with an outsized budget, a geopolitical imperative, and a presidential mandate to hit the end of the decade for a human landing on the moon. Today, the agency receives far less budget relative to federal spending, and the external forces driving NASA toward a deadline to land on the moon have far less pressure behind them. The bottom line is that there are no real consequences for missing 2025. Congress may huff and puff a bit, but in reality, Artemis is a solid choice for the space agency's human exploration ambitions. Its international partners are behind the plan, and there are no great alternatives. Most people will just shrug and accept the delays. End quote. Now, there was one more addendum to the Space Prophet's prediction about the Artemis 3 moon landing. Not just that it will be in 2028 or later, but that the rocket used might not be the SLS. That is definitely a hot take. The most expensive rocket in history that was built in part to take NASA astronauts back to the moon not being the one that ends up being used for that purpose? I mean, it's had its fair share of delays and problems over the last decade, and SpaceX will soon have their Starship waiting in the wings. I don't love this Oracle prediction, but he might have a point. 
And in any case, you can tune in to maybe watch the SLS rocket take off on its inaugural flight tonight, starting at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NASA TV, with a launch hopefully happening just after 1 a.m. Once again, we shall see. All right, well, that's going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.